boobs, money, and guns. So what I realized is that most of our viewers will drop off by the time I finish that sentence. So might as well just get something in there to get them to stay. Welcome to the Likes and Cash Podcast, boys. We're starting out. We got our first guest now. His name is James. He has sold 121 million of his own stuff or something like that. And 121 million. He was a company that made that. He was a CMO. He has a very interesting thing about offers. He says that it's not so much having one high ticket offer that counts as in just making them pull out their credit card and buy something. Make them buy something, even if it's like very low ticket, and then you'll be able to upsell them into the higher ticket packages. And that's kind of how he sells. So that's the guy we're interviewing next week. I like it. What are we going to talk about this episode? Because I'll go through the list, and I think it's juicy. It's going to be uh, very interesting stuff. So we got Twitter payouts. We got self-doubt. We got newsletters. We got the greatest ads of all time. And we're going to cap it off with Post Malone. Frank Sinatra, and a little bit of AI. I think this one's going to be kind of hectic. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's going to be a good one. You want to drive? Yeah, let's drive. Um, Yeah, so this one was funny that you said it, and I actually came up with an analogy. You said that if your Twitter payout is bigger than your income, you have a huge fucking problem. (laughs) I'm like, there's definitely some nuance here, but true, because I think (laughs) anyone... (laughs) I think 99.999% of people living, uh, listening to this got anywhere from zero to $1,000 for like four months of payouts. Is that is that really it? I thought it was like 300 bucks per month. That was like kind of the average. Is that it? it yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Unless anyone listening to this has 100K plus followers, they got like $100 if they even got anything. Yeah. So I got tagged in a few things. People saying, so likes are now cash. I'm like, if you call that cash, then yeah, well, if your Twitter payout is bigger than your income, then you have a huge fucking problem. That's not how it how it should be. I've been amazed by these people, man. Like, I met a guy when I was in Mexico. He had like 2K followers making 60K, right? He'd run a core, ran 60K. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? This guy with 10K followers pulling in 400K in like six months. I'm like, guys, what are you guys doing? <laughs> it's like, what's going on? I comment them that these guys do is sales by chat. They're just good at it, man. I find that chat, you know, there's got to be somewhere where you push the conversation forward. And chat can be that thing some people call. But I've been asking some big accounts. By big, I mean like maybe 100K followers. And I would talk to them. And I'm like, so we agree that nobody uses our link in bio, right? They're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, good. So we're all, we're all in agreement on this one. That shit doesn't work. You got to do something to get people to move now. Yeah, I agree. And it's funny because I even made like a thread the other day or maybe like two weeks ago um, talking about growing pages in anticipation of, of payouts. But I even said in the thread, I'm like, you need to monetize outside of just payouts, right? Like you need to have program, a product something you need to be you need to be doing something and, and the, the reason i wanted to make this analogy is because you look at like mr beast right he is probably the highest ad revenue in history from from a social media account right and he doesn't even make a lot in comparison to what he's spending on those videos right most of what does he make do you know i want to say he posted it in the subscribe uh in his i'm subscribed to him on on twitter for like five bucks a month and he had posted it uh, but it wasn't a lot it was like tens of thousands of dollars he's putting and that's the best in the world 
and that's the best. And he's putting hundreds per video, right? So tens of thousands of dollars per video, he's putting hundreds. Um, and the reason I say that is because like they make way more from the e-commerce products, Feastables and uh, merch, and then also sponsorships. Every video has a sponsorship. Even the latest one was sponsored by Shopify. They're paying him like 50, 100, 200. Like they're paying him a lot because it's like a Super Bowl ad. You're getting millions of eyeballs, right? Um, so he's making hundreds of thousands from sponsors and products, if not millions, and only like 10 to 20 to 30 for, for ad revenue. Is that his main source of income, sponsorships? I want to say now it, it must be it must be product, but I would say the sponsorships, and this is just a guess, but my guess would be sponsorships and ad revenue is just reinvested and that they're really going to make money off of um, the equity of the businesses, like Feastables. I, I imagine he doesn't need any cash flow. You know, the biggest thing that this ad page did for me, okay, so for context, this, I was in Austin living with Dakota, Robertson, and Dan Co. like a, like a year ago or something, a year and a half ago. And we were sitting at the couch. And the cool thing about living with those guys is they made me dream big, man. Like these guys have work ethic. They just, they just do cool stuff. And I thought I want to do something. I want to start a, a theme page, right? Uh, not that it's like big, but it was just kind of a fun experiment. So I called it the best ads of all time at best ads time on Twitter slash X. So I posted it every day, one or two ads about Porsche, Rolls Royce, Apple, and then me, Dakota, and Dan would retweet it with our followings. And in like two months, it got to like 35,000 followers. It was great. It was awesome. Like we got a bunch of new, of like cool followers, Sam Parr, David Perel. There's a, a page, by the way, one of my favorites called VCs congratulating themselves. Have you seen that? I've seen something. I've seen the VC memes. Yeah. <laughs> it's about, it's the hardest job in the world. Like nobody works as hard as us. We're the best. We're the messiahs. Anyway, we got a bunch of uh, cool followers and I haven't made much money from it. It's like 40K followers. I kind of lost the number and I got it back now. So I got back access. But the best thing about those pages, at least for me, I found was the cloud. Like people did, I, it was hard to monetize and launch a newsletter and people just kind of didn't join. But it's like, oh, you run that page. That's pretty cool. Oh, you build that. That's pretty cool. So even though like saying cash, even though we know that it's not making much money, it's people do have certain tendency to respect you more if you have a big account. So that is a counter argument to that. They want that cloud. They want to associate with other people with big accounts. So. It was a big experiment. It's fun. Yeah, and that's and the thread I wrote, I believe it was called, uh, if I had to start over, this is what I would do today. Uh, and in that thread, I say, the reason I wouldn't build a personal brand if I was starting from nothing is because I have no authority. You're a nobody. You have no skills. You have no clout. Why would someone follow you? I said build a theme page because now you can build your personal brand off the back of the fact that you built the theme page, right? It's so cool. It's so cool if you're like, yeah, I have this account that I hit like 50K followers on. Like, that's sick. They're going to be like, well, how did you do it? How can I buy it? How can I do it? Et cetera. You could sell an info product, consulting. You have authority. You can start an agency. There's so many things you can do off the back of doing something impressive. It's literally building a skill on top of, you know, you can monetize the page. And this actually brings me to another point. And it's been like uh, doing the rounds on Twitter lately. I know you're not on this side, so I'll, so I'll, I'll bring it up. The rounds? Um, What's around? Yeah. Uh, like doing the rounds is just like a saying like it's um it's people are talking about it so uh these big meme pages such as internet hall of fame and and some of these other ones corn uplist like these really massive massive twitter influencers 
uh, there's a conspiracy. It's the apparently it's the truth. It's been in the uh, what's the reader added context thing? Community notes. Uh, they'll post memes making fun of OnlyFans people, but it's actually a secret funnel. The OnlyFans people that are getting memed on in the original tweet will then comment. And then the original poster will then respond to their comment, and that's how they drive traffic to their link in bio. It's unreal. It's so smart. So they purposely meme them, get meme. They pay this person to meme themselves, and then they drive the traffic through the replies to the person's page. And if the finally the readers have figured it out, and they've been keep they keep community noting the posts. They're like, this is actually just a secret funnel to drive you to the OnlyFans page. Oh, it's that's mean. It's so smart. Oh, I'm like, who created this? I want them on this fucking podcast immediately. Like, I need to understand how they figured this out. I've seen a few of those OnlyFans girls. They'll post something like, do I look cute today? Or, like, uh, they'll post a screenshot of somebody, like, mistreating them or something. And then they'll post that. And here comes the white knight saying, I would never treat you like that, baby. That's okay, nice. And that's how it goes viral. Well, the big funnel of this past, like, quarter is uh, OnlyFans girls replying to every big tweet. I've muted so many of them because they just reply so that you click their profile. Uh, but they'll just reply anything. And then the, the funny thing is they'll always get ratioed by someone else, like a reply guy, and they'll be like, we're not buying fucking OnlyFans. <laughs> and yet, yet they do. Like, it's and working, they so they do it. Yeah. yeah it's so bad. Dude, um, like, a lot of marketing hacks, even though people know about it, they still work. We all know about hooks, right? It's, we're still hooked. I saw, I was reading... I've talked about this. I, I try to read foundational books. So you see those right here? I don't read a lot of them. I just read kind of the foundational ones, the ones that are like really basic, like Influence, right, by Cialdini. And there was the greatest car salesman in the world. I read about this yesterday. He used to give you cards, little cards, ship them over to your house, in which they said, I like you. That's all it said. But because that person liked you, you knew he wanted to sell you cars. You knew what his trick was. But because he was doing it, you were like, ah, okay, fuck it. At least I don't hate him as much as others. And if you think about buying a car, you will probably buy from that guy just because of the fact that he did that. Now, you know the trick, but it still works, right? So sometimes people are like, oh, that's too basic for me. Well, another word for basic is fundamental. And a fundamental needs to be in the marketing campaign or it fails. So maybe you should start reading astrology books. Like maybe the astrology equivalent in business yeah. books is this like really basics. Like, people will ask me, what book do you recommend? I'm like, oh, bro, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And like, really? Like, you're serious? I'm like, yeah, dude, it's the foundational one. It starts with that. Well, you might uh, realize this when you, if, are you going to take the ads account seriously? I didn't, you didn't even say. Um, I will post one a day and take it from there. I don't think so. Okay, so, for example, right, like, You'll, you'll realize if you, you know, posting one a day, you're going to see trends and they all kind of follow the same like foundations. But like what's timeless is like sexy cells. And it's like these luxury brands, it's just like been like forever, hundreds of years, sexy cells always uh, and exclusivity cells. And I'm interested to see if we can draw trends in, in, in the best ads of all time. And, and oh, dude, I have a few for you. There I'll have a few for you. Did you know that the most, to me, the most clever ones never work? Again, clear, not clever, right? We're not going to get into that. But um, the most clever ones never work. For me, best ad of all time, um, Omega is Speedmaster, which was kind of cool. But you know what the ones that hit? It's the car ads. It's Porsche. It's Rolls Royce. 
and it's um yeah that's it that's that's all the ones like it could literally be called best car ads of all time and it'd still be the same page people want to see cars i don't know you said luxury sells man yeah i agree with that did you know that uh you know jay leno he has a collection of cars and he he doesn't own a ferrari do you know why he doesn't own a ferrari why is dude he has like that uh, like hundreds of cars like luxury cars he doesn't own a ferrari and they asked him why he said that he doesn't own a ferrari because he wanted to buy the top end ferrari but you can't you have to buy the like the smaller end you buy that one and only after that do you get approved after a long process to buy the big one and he said no that's bullshit <laughs> like I, i'm not i'm not gonna go through that process i like ferraris I don't like the process of it. He that's why he doesn't own a Ferrari. But it it's just exclusivity. People want to see be seen as as higher status, which uh oh kind of brings me to an idea I wanted to to roll by you and I th- I think people will like it. So we got confirmed two big names for um they want to do a workshop with me. Or like I want to do a workshop with them. <laughs> Being clear. Okay, so we're gonna do a workshop together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's like um when you know one person, we just kind of, you saw him at a concert. Oh, yeah, I know Taylor Swift. Of course I do. Anyway, this person. I'm thinking about doing a Zoom webinar. And the cool thing will be, I will be the host, that presumably the co-host, so we're both hosts. My clients will be panelists. And everybody else will be attendees. So the gist of this is, say, we're going to have a workshop in which everybody can listen in and you can join but only clients can ask questions, right? So people can see the velvet rope. People can see that they can. It's like little exclusivity. Everybody gets value, but uh, it's kind of painful when you don't get what everybody else gets. So people are like, okay, what's this client thing? I, wa- I want to join. So that's that's the thesis I wanted to test. I think it's interesting. It just um, logistically, if you can handle that, the bandwidth on it, like as many, like if you can handle enough people, um, I mean, it'd, be, it'd probably be a few hundred. I think it'd be well. Someone who does this well is uh, Alex Becker. And I, I feel like I always have an analogy for everything. I wonder if, is that annoying? Or do people like No, that? no. I think it's very useful. I, I've been I've been looking at other podcasts, man. Like, when I scroll on, on YouTube shorts, most of them, of the podcast clips I watch, are analogies or stories. So every time you tell one of those, I'm actually really interested more in that than when you talk theory. Because yeah, it's uh, like an example I can, I can see. It's so much, and it's so much better to reference someone that's bigger than you and on like to support your ideas. You know what I mean? So it's not just like you have to believe me. Um, anyway, Alex Becker does it, did it really well. He does it really well with his uh, brand Neo Tokyo. So this is his business aside from Hyros, and he has two tiers of a- access to his community. For you have the elites, so S one, and you could call this your clients, and then he has the lower tier, which is just the citizens. It's S two. Uh, and S2 are the lower ticket, essentially the lower ticket entry level for his uh, project. And the high ticket is S1. S1, he has his um, his big community Q&A. S1s can ask questions and S2s can listen, but nobody else can listen. It's, it's interesting. It's the same concept of what you said. Um, he's like, I'm not going to do any collaborations with anybody. If you want access to me after I just exited my $100 million software company, you have to be either an S1 or an S2. And I thought that was interesting. It's, it's essentially... My internet or is it your internet? Um, you're back. You're back. Okay, cool. 
So it was like, yeah, you either have to be S1 or S2 to listen. I just exited my company for $100 million and I'm not going on any other podcast. I'm not talking about it anywhere else. Join here if you want access to it. So I thought that was really interesting. It's similar to what you just said where your S1 is your clients and then the S2 is everybody else. Do you ever want to do that? Becker did it right, man. Made a ton of money and then said he he didn't beat the game because he's not the richest man in the world. But he opted out of the game, which in my opinion is cooler than winning the game. Firstly, I think he did it right. I think I think it's uh I could see that, you know, for for me in five to ten years. It's just like he did it he did it in seasons. Like he started, he had an agency and he had built his YouTube, built his info product, built his SaaS. He did it the right way, but he did it the slow way. And I don't think many people are willing to do it the slow way. I like oh, two points that I wanted to say on what you said, it's disclusivity. I'm part of this uh, this mastermind. It's uh, called Black Belt and Boardroom from Taki Moore. They had an in-person event. In the in-person event, the tables at which you could sit, everybody had like white cloth, but the top dogs had black cloth on their table and they were closer to the stage. He said that the other dudes would come up to him and say, next year, I'm going to be sitting there. Next year, I'm going to be on the on the black cloth table. Now, mind you, he was also saying next year, I'm going to let you sell me on your higher end program, but it's a different dynamic. It's more elegant. So one thing I wanted to say, the second one that I thought was kind of an interesting segue, and I thought we, we can get deep into this, is when you said reference someone higher in order to prove your point. And I like that a lot. And I've been thinking about every person has a certain button you can push that will automatically kind of persuade them i'll give you an example uh let's say you're like you really respect your your dad right and it's like uh you have a behavior that your dad wouldn't agree with and then your mom would say something like well your dad said something about this therefore you shouldn't do it and because that your dad said it you don't question it you said becker right now maybe a becker fan would listen to that and they wouldn't question it or hormozy i use this a lot you know, like uh, Hormozzi said this, and um, therefore it's, it must be true, right? People have kind of, kind of an if-then relationship to getting their conclusions. And I feel like if you can find that person who they really trust, it's kind of persuasion in autopilot. Who do they trust? And then you use that every time you're like, you want to persuade them to do something. Yeah, I also feel like like two things. One, uh, like I don't ever want to... I never want to say anything definitive unless it's like very specific to my expertise. Like if it was specifically about what the my agency did, I feel like I'd be in the best position as an expert. But 99.9% of everything else is like, I feel like we have to support it to truly hit it home with the listeners. Uh, and two is like, I feel like no matter how high you get, there's always someone higher you can reference. And I, I think to Mike Tyson, every time he's on a podcast, he always references one of the great warriors of, of or the great leaders of all time, Genghis Khan or Napoleon. He always references one of these war generals that are timeless above himself. So like you think Mike Tyson, he's one of the fiercest warriors of our generation, and he's referencing the ancient warriors from hundreds of years ago. So I thought it was interesting. It's like all the conquerors. So it's just you can always look further, you know what I mean, to support your facts. So I think it's a powerful tool at every level. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And then... Another one, which uh, it makes people open-minded as well, is finding out when a famous person or a person they respect said something wrong. So one time I, th I think Warren Buffett said something like, 
oh, tech stocks are not going to go anywhere. You know, the greatest investor of all time, he said something like that. Don't quote me on it, but something similar happened. But then it's like, oh, so he fucked up. It's cool if I fucked up. It's just, it, feel, it feels good in, in a level, but it also makes you kind of zoom out a little bit, not take yourself too seriously. Big fan of it, like, when somebody big says something dumb or wrong, like, record that. Because then you can use that in your in your personal conversations. I used to keep that, man. Just fucking psycho mode. In high school, I had my circle of friends, like, seven of them. And I would, this is wrong. Don't do it. And it's just such a weird thing to do. But um, I, w I, I had my notebook, and I kind of wrote the things that made them tick. Like, I had that in case something happened. It's like, if I wanted to do something, I would just kind of write it down. And it was fairly useful. It was really, really good. Don't do this. But it's just something I used to do. I, uh, you mentioned, and I, I'm glad I didn't forget, you mentioned Taki Moore. Uh, I just wanted to point out that, and this is going to be an interesting, an interesting breakdown, but one of my clients launched his Hormozy affiliate campaign four days ago and is already top seven and past Taki Moore. And he has almost basically no followers. Uh, he has what do you a do? huge, he has a huge community outside of social media. So he has a huge community outside of social media that's extremely niche. I'd call it like 5K, uh, really niche down in, in one specific, uh, let's call it white collar niche. Um, and he has a bunch of high friends with really good email lists that he pulled favors for. And he is like going crazy. Like he dove up the thing and we're we're gonna drive it home with him we're even gonna we're gonna help him out and like it's just so sick to see and it, it actually just reminded me it's just like your true fans are so much more important than your follower count like you like you always tweet like uh <laughs> nice follower count now let's see the income <laughs> yeah i think that's important like it's so important like nice follower count but like let's see the true fans because your followers aren't the ones who are paying you. It's the true fans, right? So, like, good luck monetizing a dead audience. I thought it was interesting to see, like, just to see someone do that with such less followers. Like, there's people with hundreds of thousands of followers that... So, this guy you mentioned, is he? does he have, like, an offline network? Is he, like, popular offline? It's it's an online network. It's just outside of social media. It's, like, old, I would call it old-school corporate. Uh, so, it's interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's what, really what have you done offline with your money i'm curious obviously you moved to bali you're chilling yeah. but like what are some cool things that you've done that doesn't involve a computer screen i'm not gonna lie i'm a big saver <laughs> and i'm a big uh and in most like most of the money i i usually just like uh dave ramsey's advice is like only put money where you know uh like i will probably be heavy cash for the rest of my life uh Tell me a story, dude. You want to you you want to travel? You do some cool shit. I spend a lot of money on travel. I spend a lot of money on experiences, and then I just because I just I just prefer to buy things that I can remember and experiences that are more than just the material. So, uh, you know, we spend five to six thousand dollars on international business flight seats. Uh, we go first class as many places as we possibly can. <laughs> We're those people. Uh, we also buy we buy all the expensive dinners. Like we're very big on experiences um, and not things. Like I told you, I have seven shirts here, so it's like it's 
we're pretty uh we're pretty non-materialistic and maybe that's partially bali and i was actually just telling julia like when i get home i might buy some nice sneakers because i grew up a sneakerhead. i might still be uh i might go back in and like buy some nice sneakers and stuff like that but um big on travel and <clears throat> everyone has their thing you know but uh for me it's it's buying first class seats international like five grand a piece and everyone has their thing and i feel like people are not spending enough on that thing when i first hit 5k a month to me that was like it when i hit 5k a month man dude i was living the life but first thing i did every day steak at my favorite place and i just spent a lot in food so for some people it's food for some people it's travel uh for some people it's uh it's just things but i for, for me personally the biggest lever of money is uh convenience I love hiring. I love paying for time, dude. I love that. Like, I have my assistant. She does everything. Uh, I just, I just hire killer people. They do everything, and it's just great. Uh, I feel like when entrepreneurs are late, but I don't want to spend. I understand, but spending convenience, because then you're gonna have that mental space. You need to make more money, create more cool stuff. Uh, a like if you run a coaching program, right? One of her best hires was a customer success manager. So she is a bully. She bullies people into making money. It's great. She holds everyone accountable. It's awesome, right? My assistant, like, dude, it's awesome, right? Paying for just like little things, like YouTube Premium. You know, it just brings me so much show. You know, I can turn this. Yeah. Spotify Premium, no ads, <laughs> Uber Eats, and then you're like priority, right? It's just the the little cool things that make it. It's it adds up. So. I feel like saving is good, but find the things that bring you joy and just spend on it. Like, uh, food, big one. Convenience is big one. Travel, you're like, I don't like traveling that much. I like staying in one place for three months and then it's just like, that is it. <laughs> that's that's yeah. me. Uh, but whatever it is, whatever your dial is, Ramit Sethi calls this, what is your rich life look like? What are some things that you love spending on and you quadruple that? What would your life look like? I, actually, let's run an experiment. What is one thing right now, Marcos, where you feel like maybe you've been skimping that you shouldn't? That's a great question. I would say probably buying things that I can, uh, material things that I can wear and, and use. I'm like really cheap when it comes to like t-shirts and clothes and like i'll be wearing like a like a ripped t-shirt before i buy a new one kind of guy lately um and i think i could just go to the store and buy like a 10 pack of the nicest t-shirts if i want <laughs> i i'm probably skimping in that regard um so i'm gonna call it uh clothing <laughs> yeah well there there you go like may, maybe that could be it but like maybe employees right maybe you could i know you're big on paying for education Right, just like a course for them. Like what I will do with my employees is, I if I want have a course I really want them to see, I never tell them read this course. I say pay for it, watch it, and after you've done, let me know, and then I'll send you the money back. It's really awesome because then they see it. Or if I have a book I want my people to read, I say, well, I'll pay for the book. Or like a, a book is cheap, but a course is it, is more applicable. You know what I mean? But some people are like some are like a book is a significant investment it's like my friends from high school some some of them i'm like yeah read the book and then i'll pay for it 
you know, but it, they actually do it. That, that little accountability makes them do it. Our, our policy is um, anytime a course comes out that you guys think will add value to our service, you send it in the group, I'll buy it, and I'll make a company login. Um, and I've done that for the past year. I think the latest one was Kieran's, like that like $200 writing course. Um, we do that. We do that for everything. I did that with Justin Welsh's course. I do that with every course. Um, I love that stuff. It's like, I, if you guys think this can add even 0.1% of an edge to our service, it's yours. You know what I mean? And they, they get a free course out of it. They get to learn and our company gets better at what we do. It's like a win-win. Uh, did you, did you learn that intuitive? Did you know that intuitively or did you learn, oh no, people is king. That's what we should do. Um, I didn't, I learned like people is important from Layla Hormozzi. Um, I would say this practical course tip, I kind of just made it up. Um, but I always knew people was important at lift, listening because, you know, the first seven, eight months of business when no one's on in the business, uh, it's just you, you don't really take it in enough, but you hear it all the time. You're like, what does that mean? But once you start hiring people, you're like, oh, this is what it means. And it was already hammered down because I was binging Hormozzi content for so long. Um, but Another thing I like to spend money on is I like to just like find ways to pay my team more. I always do it. Like I just want them to make more. Like I want my- How do you do it? You just gotta be like, it is, it's a double-edged sword. Like you never wanna just raise it for no reason. You wanna want to reward like job well done and like show them that you care and show them that they deserve to grow with the business. But you also wanna have incentives, right? Incentivizing performance. So for sales, it's obvious, right? Like. If you're at 10% base, you can maybe have a way where they can get to 12.5 or 15% based on a certain uh, number of closes or a certain number of uh, cash collected. Um, for writing, it's a bit more nuanced. We have internal KPIs that are more related to um, the account on X itself. So you said something between podcasts ago that I really like. When people run out of future with you, it's over. And I feel like yeah, I took that advice to heart. So right now we're hiring setters. And I say, well, now you're going to be a junior setter, but at 50 closes, you're going to be a, uh, like a setter, just a setter. And then at a hundred, it's going to be a, uh, what is it? Uh, it's not a lead, senior, senior setter, right? It might be just a little incremental change in income, but it's just that like status that people like, man. It's the, again, the little tricks, even though they know they're there, they like it. Like they enjoy it. It's like, oh, I'm there. Cool. I'm progress. Practical. Here's a practical tip. I just interviewed um, a setter for a client the other day. And essentially what I said when I brought him on was like, hey, we need a setter for for this client account. I know you're new. Or he was actually uh, he was actually just a be like a beginner setter. And I was like, I know you're new to setting. This is a high growth position. Uh, if you perform well with this client, there's opportunity for you, one, to ascend within the client business and go from perhaps a setter to a closer. There's also opportunity for you to move on to other client accounts, some of our higher level clients, if this goes really well. So there's two different lanes for you to grow here. Um, worst case scenario, you build a skill that's timeless that I had to use when I started my agency. You'll have to use if you start your own course. You'll have to use setting regardless. Like you will always need this. It's the tw in this in this day and age, you need to know how to close in the DMs and set calls. Um, best case scenario, you can become a high ticket closer and you know, six to 12 months. So I kind of gave him a roadmap with multiple ways he can go. And I said, worst case scenario, you are starting your entrepreneurial journey. And it was, it's basically like a sales call. Uh, that's yeah. That's right on the money. It, it is a sales call. That's right on the money. Because like when, when I used to run a challenge, 
I did this. I didn't think about it, but I, I'm glad I did it this way. I said, in all honesty, guys, the challenge is free. But my hope is with this challenge, you will make money and then you'll reinvest something into our program. Once they join in the program on the sales call, we paint out another roadmap. This X months, you're going to be here, but then hopefully you will make so much money that you'll be able to reinvest it into the next one. And it, I find that giving people that roadmap, it might feel like you're kind of pushing them, like it's a lot of commitment, but it actually helps people see a future with you, man. Like people want to see a future with you. People... I don't know if I should, should say this, but people want to be told what to do so badly that sometimes you just got to tell them, right? It's like, you're going to do this and then you're going to upsell and you're going to get to that point. You're going to make a lot of money. People want to be told what to do sometimes. They want to be shown. They want they want certainty. Danko had this great face, man. The mind craves order. So if you can find that roadmap, when I enroll clients, the biggest thing that I ask them, what do you guys want? Like, what's a, what's a quick one we can get for you? Always. And I'd say six out of 10 times, they will say, I just want clarity. People want clarity, man. People just want order. And that roadmap, even if it's for employees or if it's for clients, say at the end of this three-month agreement, yeah, there might be something else in which you can join. It doesn't hurt. It, it actually is very helpful. People want that little piece of uh, reassurance that, hey, you, there's a future here. You'll be fine here. I like it. Uh, this is a perfect segue in, into futures and roadmaps and looking ahead. You said, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put it here. I doubt every day if this is even worth it. <laughs> every fucking day, man. Every fucking day. Like it's it especially hits me at the gym. Like I'm just lifting, and I think, and why why the fuck? Like why am I going and going write tweets? Why am I recording myself? Why am I doing? Actually, the podcast I enjoy. But I'm like, is this even worth it? Because then I'll see some others, I don't know, unknown accounts. I've always been kind of low-key. It's always it's new to me to be on camera all the time. I'm thinking, man, why don't I do that? Like, I asked you a few podcasts ago, too. Marcus, do you ever wonder if you're in the right business model? Like, I don't know. Like, if you follow Marcus or me, like, at some point, maybe, hopefully, you think that there's something to learn from us. I think one thing that's important is that when I wrote, I doubt every day if this is even worth it. Marcos then wrote right beneath that, saying, brother. So we're always <laughs> thinking, why are we in it? Yeah, it's, it's just like the grass is, it's, it, it always seems greener, right? Like every business has its drawbacks, right? Like as an agency is like, it's so much operational complexity to scale. You have to hire, your margins get thin. There's so many, you have to deal with clients that a lot of times can feel like your boss. There's so much shit that goes into it, right? Then you go to an info business and maybe we'll just lay out all the fucking shitty parts of all the businesses and that'll give people clarity and just be like, every business sucks, get over it and pick one. So like if you go to info business, right, you're always chasing more leads. You have to sell forever. You have to keep selling, 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 selling. And you're dealing with fucking beginners all the fucking time. And beginners ask stupid questions over and over and over and over and over and over. For years, you're going to hear the same questions over and over, right? So every business, that's the, you know, but you don't have to. And the good thing about info is it has high margins and the operational complexity is not as hard, right? You're mostly marketing. And then you go to like a SaaS, right? High margins, all this stuff, it's exitable. But then it's the just like- fucking breaks. Yeah, yeah. But then you, you, it, the shit explodes. You don't know how to code. 
right? There's so many competitors. And then like half the 99.99% of software businesses fail. It's like there's so many different things with that. And then you can move on, right? You can go to e-com, right? So you don't even own the product. Anyone can come in and just put the same product as you and steal all your audience, right? You have to rely on ads. Your margins are razor thin, right? There's so many things that go into that. And then you can just go and do this for every fucking business model. That gave me a little bit of relief when you said that. I thought, yeah, you know what? Maybe some people want to be in my business model and I want to be in theirs. I'd say the common commonality, common commonality, there you go. Now we're talking just high level language. It's uh, depending on what you want. Did I ever tell you the, the about the Excel versus iMovie thing in this podcast? Have I talked about this? No. Okay, so Shanpuri said something. You know, Chris Saka, this billionaire investor, he told this story about how he went into the, um, he like made a ton of money and then he just disappeared. He's doing business like alone. Not alone, but in private. Anyway, he was in Shark Tank. When he was, yeah, he was in Shark Tank. When he was seven or something, he wrote a letter to himself in the future of what he wanted to be. He said, I don't know much about what I want to do, but I know it's going to involve calls in which a lot of money will be moved. One house at the beach and one house in the mountains. That's what he wrote. Years later, he goes on Tim Ferriss. He reads that and turns out it was true. And I've been struggling for this question for the longest time. Like, how much is enough? How do you know you have enough? And Shan, Shan Puri said something that I thought was really smart. A lot of entrepreneurs, we calculate how much is enough with Excel. As in, when I made this much money and when I have this much passive income. And he said, that's the wrong metric. You shouldn't be using Excel to find your goals. You should be using iMovie to find your goals. What do I want my life to look like? How many houses? Or if it's just one house, what do you want to do? Where do you want to live? And when you craft that vision with the iMovie analogy, you kind of work backwards from that. For me, right? So what I want to have, this is something I got stuck in my head, man. Like it's something I really want. I want to have a five kilometer track around my property so I can walk five kilometers every day with just one thing and just know that I walk five kilometers. I just want that. You know, I'm like, I want 5K, right? <laughs> And I thought, okay, well, how much is 5K in terms of acres? So I went to ChatGPT. Turns out it's 21 acres. Okay, I can work. I can work backwards from that. How much is 21 acres? That's my number. Okay, well, how much of a house can I build in 21 acres? Well, a big ass house, but how? You know, what do I want in my house? Right? I want an office. I want a studio and a little writing shack, and a good kitchen. Right? That's pretty much all I want. And then I can work backwards from that. I found that looking at what I want, not as an Excel thing, as in 5 million, but looking at his iMovie as in a five kilometer track with 21 acres helps a lot. So if you're thinking about what do I want, think about that. You're going to do that? Yeah, I'm going to do that after this episode. I'm going to report back and uh, not the next episode, but the episode after. (laughs) What is is one thing you want? I'm curious. Like, I I feel like you, you work a lot, but like, I I know a lot about your strategies. I don't know much about Marcos. What is something you're like, I want this. Uh, I, my North Star for the past year has been I want to pay off my parents' mortgage. That's really important to me. Um, after that, I, I want a house on a teal lake in the Northwest, maybe Lake Tahoe. And I want a beach house in either Florida or California. And those are two, <laughs> those are the two properties I really want. Um, that's really, I like don't really care too much about cars. Like, the thought of having a Ferrari is sick, but I feel like if I hop in a rented one, it'll be like, whatever. Um, it's really the most important thing to me is really just like paying off my parents' mortgage. Uh, and maybe my sister. There you go. But that's about it. 
Like after that, like I'll re- I'll revisit. <laughs> like I just don't know after that. Okay, I want to I want to ask a follow up question on this. Can Can I talk about the place you said you wanted to move to after Bali? Can I say that? Yeah. Okay, so you said you wanted to go to Tampa. So yeah. why not Tahoe or California? Um, I want to, so Tahoe. I mean, sorry, Tampa is really uh, aligned to our goals for the next few years. We're not settling. We're not having kids yet. Um, most of my family is in Florida or Massachusetts, so. I think it's a, it's in the season that we're in now. It just makes sense. And also, like, we don't want to buy, like, we, we kind of figured this out after looking. It's like, we don't want to just settle on a house. We want to buy our dream house. So we want to just, like, we're in a season of grind and then buy our dream home after instead of just going and then settling and then, like, not having everything we want, you know? So uh, that's the place to, that's the place for the grind. We did all the pros and cons, time zones, family, taxes, like, all that stuff. Landed in Tampa. Well, there you go. Tampa it is. Everybody needs to do this exercise, man. This eye movie thing, this vision board. It sounds woo woo, but it gives you a nice direction. I've had a it gives you. A, it's nice. I have a great vision you do? board. It's on my phone, which I'm using for this camera. But it's uh, it has my, it has the Lake Tahoe house. It has the car. It has the mortgage. And it has like some watches. It's like pretty basic stuff, but um, okay. it has everything I just said. <laughs> Here's another one though. Like uh, again, I learned it from my first million. It's when you want a certain lifestyle. They say, don't buy it, rent it, and then buy it. You want a Ferrari, right? You're not going to... What? What's a Ferrari? Like 400K or something? Like, it's a lot. Anyway, so you're like a Ferrari. It's like, okay, you, you said right now, maybe if I hop into Ferrari, I'll kind of like it. What if you rented it for a week? Get a feel for it. Yeah. And then you're like, what is it? I mean, it's going to be expensive, right? It's going to be 5, 7K or whatever. But it's not 400K. So at least you know, right? You got that itch uh, yeah. off. I'm pretty lame. My dream car is like a black Tesla model. That's <laughs> like, so I'm just. Oh like, yeah, that's fucking lame. I it is lame, and I always tell myself, I'm like, maybe I should want a Ferrari. But then I'm like, am I projecting of what other people want? But then I see like fucking Colty Broad driving his Ferrari through Lake Tahoe Mountains, and I'm like, all right, well, this actually looks pretty sick. <laughs> I'm like, a part of me, so like, this is what I was telling Julia the other day. I'm like. Part of me is like, oh, I don't need all that stuff, but I don't want to ever let like the money Twitter optimizer bros like project what they like on me. Like a lot of people tend to project like you don't need anything, white t-shirts, barefoot shoes, and live off the land. Like everyone projects that on on Twitter, and I want to make sure it doesn't influence me because I did, I grew up, I like fucking Jordans and I like stuff like that. You know what I mean? I never want to let other people just influence my decisions, and I think now that I have money. It's easier to kind of you you start to know what you like when you actually can afford it. Is that do you think that's true for you? Oh, hundred percent, dude. Like I realized, like I thought I wanted to be like in a big city, right? Let's go to Miami. Dude, I hate people. I do not like talking to people. One of the biggest perks of Poland is in Latin America you are forced to say hi to everyone. In Poland, you're not. Mm. And that was awesome, man. Like I didn't have to talk to anyone. Nobody talked to me. I don't like, I'm the guy that sits at the corner of a restaurant. And something I don't like, one of my pet peeves is when waiters ask you every 7.5 seconds if your meal is okay or if you need anything. I hate that. Sorry. It's like, so I'm like it's so bad. Really? Well, I'll be like mid, oh, I hate, that's just a pet peeve. I'll be like mid bite, like my mouth's open, I'm chewing, mouthful, like mesmerized. <laughs> They're like, how's your meal? Like it's in my mouth. 
like, did you want? I'm me like, get a hit, girl. Out? All right, good. Like, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I yeah, I hate that. Hard. Yeah. So in Poland, that doesn't happen. Like, they just don't ask you. Just, just do your thing. One thing I'll say, man. You know, Pol Polish people are excellent for many things, an infinity amount of things. And I'm gonna risk this one, but I have a Polish friend, and we both arrived to the same conclusion. Polish people are great at many things. The one thing they're not good at is changing directions when they walk. They don't change directions. Dude, like, for example, let's say I'm like, there's a roundabout, right? And I'm going on the roundabout, and I'm like, in the inner end, if a Polish person is behind me, well, it it happened many times that they don't go around you. If you're going slow, it's like, oh, fuck it. Well, I guess I'm going slow today. That's it, right? Or like, dude, like in... And on the on the streets, right? I'll go walking, and um, I realized that, dude, people just don't change directions. So they're like, you have to dodge at the last second of a Polish person interaction. So the time I asked my friend, is like, dude, what happens if like, what happens if I don't change? Do I do I just like kiss the dude, or like what happens? Right? Like, we just crash it, first. <laughs> like what what goes on? He's like, I've never thought about it. Turns out, um. One day I woke up and I decided violence and I chose violence. And I said, today, I'm not going to switch direction. Today, I'm going to get fully embedded in the Polish culture. So I went out and I started walking. Now, I did not kiss any dude, but I did bump into three motherfuckers. <laughs> like we didn't change direction. We just bumped. <laughs> so I don't know how we got into that. But um, yeah, Poland's a very interesting place. It's a very nice place to be. Yeah, when I was in when I was in Europe, I noticed that they don't force you to get up and like they don't give you the bill unless you ask. Like in New York, in New York City, it's like they for they want to just turn over the table so fast for the business and just try to get maximum turnover. And when I was sitting in London, like two hours go by, they just don't even say hi. Like they're not giving you that bill unless you beg for it. So I thought that was pretty perfect funny. place. Incredible. Yeah. That's how it should be. Nobody should. I like. I don't. I don't like people. It's just. So back to the point is that's that's one thing that I realized money uh, made me it's just like it solidified my dislike for other human beings. So there's that. So speaking of hating humans, um, let's finish off with that. Let's talk about AI. You sent me this video of, of the Frank Sinatra. Was that so that song's created by it's a it's a real song that is done in Sinatra's voice by AI. That's right. So it's um it's Gangsta's Paradise. By Coolio, by the way. It's it, the song, by the way. Awesome. And somebody pulled out Sinatra's voice. Dude, it sounds like... If you tell, told me that's a Sinatra song before I listened to the Coolio version, I'd be like, totally. I don't... I, Quinn, can we can we play a song? Can we play a part? Is this copyrighted? I don't know. If we can, play it. If not, Google Frank Sinatra, Gangsta's Paradise. And to me, that was the greatest thing I has ever created. Gangsta's Paradise sang by, by Frank Sinatra. And there's a bunch of them. There's one which Frank Sinatra uh, sings Levitating by Dua Lipa. And it's awesome. It's great. I enjoy it a lot. Well, Post Malone was just on Joe Rogan's podcast last week. It was like a five-hour podcast. Like, you want to talk about endurance. Um, that's crazy. But it was like a five-hour podcast. And Post Malone was talking about how AI is like a serious threat to the music industry. And like he, he was genuinely serious and worried. He said like in one in like two, three years, they could probably make better music than me. 
he said that AI has already been able to make songs that sound similar to him and they're just completely new lyrics and people aren't going to be able to tell the difference. And, and Joe's counter argument is that people like art for who the artist is. But to be honest, if you're asking me, like, I just like how the music sounds. Like, I have a classical playlist that I got. Someone basically made a Twitter thread and it was like, um, you know, the 28 or the 24 best classical songs ever. And I went ahead and turned it into a thread. I mean, it's sorry, into a Spotify playlist. I got like 500 followers. But if you lied and didn't tell me those were humans and said and they were actually AIs, I would not have noticed, right? Like, I couldn't, I personally couldn't care less who it is. Like, I just want to have like good jams. So I'm just like, I wonder where it's going to, what's going to happen, if there's going to be regulation. Um, I don't know. Do you use AI? If you think about it for the creator culture, that makes it more important even not to create a lot. Like when you go to a restaurant, you don't go to a restaurant because they serve a lot of food. You go to a restaurant because they serve good food. But it comes to creators, I think that's going to be even more important. Not following someone because they can put out seven reels a day, but because they can put out one good piece of content. You don't follow people for quantity, you follow them for quality. And I think it's going to be more important, which I'm really pumped about because I've never been a quantity guy. Personally, I don't enjoy it that much. I've been a one, I call it a mega doc, one mega doc a week, two, 3,000 words where it's quality. And I like that that shift. It's to me, it's kind of like imminent. That's where it's going to end up in quality. And I'm just pumped that I'm finally going to be able to like really compete with the guys that pull out like a, a bunch more content just by, you know, being me. I'm a quality guy too. I like it. I like, uh, I, I think the reason I'm a quality guy is I don't like putting out stuff that everyone else puts out. I like to put out stuff that's new and fresh and unique and from from the dome. Um, so the the sacrifice is that I can't just put out the same you know stuff every day because it's just really hard to come out with unique fresh stuff every single hour of every single day. Uh, is it? Are you using is AI? Because you just you just compare you share your own experiences. That's already new IP. You can't replicate that. Yeah, it maybe like uh, maybe in tweets it's easy, but. For example, like if I want to go long form, like a newsletter or a thread, it's just it's so hard to come up with like nonstop quality in a fast pace. Even like uh, I was going to ask you about your newsletter. Uh, we're launching the Birdhouse newsletter, and I was like, man, I see some of these guys doing daily. I'm like, weekly, man, I can't do daily. Daily what? Like I don't have a thing to say every day. <laughs> but I mean, like I want it to be very curated. And because what we'll do is, you know, me and my team is we consume timeline and we see what's ha what's popping and stuff like that. But we could put out one really great newsletter with highlights from the week and like, you know, a great tweet we saw and stuff like that. But if we were to do that every day, it would just be so diluted. So for me, it's like maybe I'll change my mind now that uh, as I get into it. But for me, it's just I think weekly is better. Yeah, I'll challenge you on that one because it was a coaching call that I did today and I thought it was relevant. So what I what I do is imagine you're a chef. Right, and you know an extremely harsh critic is coming to your restaurant tomorrow. What do you do? Now, the bad news is that the critic is really harsh. The good news is that you know the critic's friends. You know that they know what he likes. You know that they're kind and they will tell you what he likes. Now, a dumb chef would just cook whatever, cook to his own taste and say, take it, that's hard. Whereas if you ask the critic's friends, they will tell you what they want and then you just cook that and you'll know it'd be a well success. When it comes to content, it's a lot of people guess, and maybe you feel that way because you're thinking about what would hit. 
And that's hard. That's a lot of mental work because dude, we're, we've been recording for an hour, right? That's not like it didn't feel hard, but it's an hour, right? It's a lot. And maybe you feel that way because you're guessing. I would like to change it and think about if there were somebody who knows what your target market wants, who is willing to give you information and who you can ask, then that is the ideal person to tell you what you should build. And that person is your current clients. So what I would do is ask them, hey, what has been valuable about what I've given you? Collect all your questions. I know you. I know your VA collects those questions somewhere. And then what you do is you create this mega doc from that question. You address that one question well. You do one good thing, right? Two, 3,000 words. You're a quality guy. I am too. So you create that. So if you look at it, imagine you're the chef and you cook a soup, right? And then from the input, that big soup, you give them one bowl. They liked it. Well, you already have the bowl. All you need to do is just, you don't need to create another soup, which is why it might feel right now to you that you're creating, you have to create these things. But you don't need to do that. You just need to serve bowls to different people because it's already made. So you just get little bits of that mega doc and then you share it. So in a way, from one big piece of content, you have all the emails that you need. You're already creating. You're just not marketing it. Great content isn't created. Great content is collected. You go back from that mega doc and you use that. And the whole gist of this is you only have to cook once. You only have to create one mega doc a week. You create that one mega doc, weeks, weeks worth is done. And that's how you create a daily email. Not by crafting seven individual emails, but by one big thing. And then you get from that and then you distribute the soup to your audience. And you know it's good because your client told you it's good. Because you didn't guess. Because they asked you or they told you what they wanted. And that's how you know you get quality because it's good. And you get quantity because you create that a huge mega that you can just distribute that. Awesome. I love that. I have to yeah, do that. that. So, mic drop. Yeah, pen drop. <laughs> I'm not dropping this mic. Cause me too fucking much, man. <laughs> Next one. Like, dude, when people drop those mics, don't they get fucked up? Maybe. I think they only drop the nice ones, though. No, or the shitty ones. Yeah, oh yeah, the shitty ones, and they're, like, disposable. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> anyway, well, we got, like, three more minutes. You got something else you want to cover? Um, I think I was, uh, I wanted to ask you actually, how do you use AI in your business right now? And if you do, or are you still trying to find the right way? Cause I know back in, um, maybe like the first episode you were kind of like, eh, like, I can't really think of ways to use AI. Like have, has that changed at all? Or are you still just like, not, you can't find ways to use it? I know you used it for your dream life. <laughs> it's more for learning, to be honest, as in I, I'm now running retargeting ads. I don't know how to run it retargeting ad so and i don't want to watch a 20 minute youtube video on it so right okay how do you run a retargeting ad essentially how about you uh i like it for research i think it's good for ideas in my opinion i think it's um it's really good at just it's so it's it's a computer right so it's faster it's faster than me um so for me it's like if i can think of one good idea off of the back of another ai can do 10 or 20 or 50 i could you can just go on ai and be like give me you know, 10 things related to X or give me 10 ideas to talk about related to this tweet. So uh, if a tweet does well, you could just say, give me 10 other things that are similar to this. It's just so much faster ideation. Um, whereas for me, coming up with ideas is probably the most, the biggest bottleneck 
uh, in business, it's it's coming up with good ideas. Um, so for the it's like ten times the brain power, and they don't get tired. So it's like a, it's like a super machine. Do you rest a lot? I do. I'm, I'm big on rest. I don't I don't use an alarm. Um, track my sleep score. It's pretty big to me. Like I've even taken naps, like maybe once or twice a week. Um, I think I'm never gonna make it, man. Sorry. <laughs> Just started to break it to you, man. Shit, that's it. Just, just call it off now. But uh, your best ideas come during rest. So that's why I ask, because maybe you were not resting enough. My shittiest ideas have come when I've worked the hardest. My best ideas have come when I've worked the least. You know what it is, too? In Bali, or specifically where we live, there's no sidewalks. So I can't go on walks. And when I was in New York, my best ideas came on the walk. And I can't really walk here. So, like, I walk out to our backyard and, like, I put my bare feet in the grass and I'll get some good ideas, but it's just not the same, you know? Uh, right. I get, I get some ideas on our scooter rides. Yeah, it's, it's just, like, you're half your body's doing something and the only other possible thing for your brain is just to, like, cook something great. So, I think um, another big thing about Tampa, just to, you know, bring it full circle, is that I think we're still in a city of, like, needing a city and, like, I just want to like go like I love the city because you're forced to walk to get things. It's really interesting. It's like we it not that you're forced, but the accessibility of everything, coffee, food, like everything's kind of in the same few blocks. I always go and walk to get it instead of like ordering it because I feel scummy ordering from somewhere that's two blocks away. Um, so like that's just like a small pro of living in the city and uh, like in New York, everything was like two or three blocks away. So I'm always just like, yeah, I'll just walk. You should get the best ideas, man. Like, um, my notes app was insane. <laughs> no, that's how it is. I don't, it was a philosopher that said it. I don't know, Thoreau or Emerson or whatever. But it, he said that people deserve some credit for not killing themselves for spending all day in one room. Like the office, the modern office. So I thought, oh, guys, onto something. Also, in Europe, you can walk a lot. You should, you should just go to Europe, bro. Just look up with me in Poland. You'll love it. I'm going to London probably in November. You should come. London? Yeah. Got to go see Arsenal. <laughs> oh, my God. Now you're really not going to make it, man. Uh, <laughs> and you, yo, you watch sports? Yeah. Fucking <laughs> loser. No. It's a Matrix Sia. <laughs> there's a little thing I can't enjoy, man. There's little, I watch anime. I enjoy anime a lot. I, I, I get some good ideas from watching it. I just tweeted this, and we can leave it leave it philosophical when I just tweeted I'm like so this guy KT Hustles does Amazon FBA he made a great point and he was like um you know I sacrificed like all drinking and partying for like three years I built my business to millions so now I can just party whenever I want I'm like I totally agree with that like you can enjoy things but all the you obviously need to understand that there's seasons over your life where you just got to go all in and for me like I pretty much sold my sold my Xbox didn't bring my PC to Bali didn't do any video games for a year build my business but like I'm going to go play video games next month when Starfield comes out. It's going to be a sick game that's coming out. Um, I'm going to play it and I'm because I can. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, like, when I was broke and had nothing and nothing for me, like, I just sacrificed everything and went all in. And I think Hormozy got it right with the seasons. Like, just know what season you're in. I think you also got it right. You know, you know, I'm really bad at stopping. I'm really bad at resting. And I think that you have a really good grasp of it as knowing how to enjoy life. You know, actually, I have, like, three friends here that's it <laughs> and it's like I don't, I don't talk to much people but it's definitely something i need to improve on on the next episode we're going to talk about how to make friends <laughs> and of those people yeah. <laughs> no next episode's james kemp right yeah 
he is a good one, man. I'm really excited. Like one of the cool things about this podcast and everybody says is you get to talk to interesting people. Well, I'll switch that up a little bit. You get to interrogate interesting people and they have no option but to answer to your questions because they're live. So this guy is a killer and I wanted to get him on a call either way. That episode is for me and I hope you enjoy it. But I'm going to ask a lot of questions and I got to interrogate that motherfucker until he gives us water. But uh, everybody wins, you know, because that's the interesting podcast episodes. Tune in next week. All right. See you, boys. Cheers.